Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. Thanks for joining us on the podcast this week. Walter Storholt here alongside Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design in Northeast Ohio. Offices in Akron and Canfield, so it's convenient for you to come by, say hello, and ask questions if you've got them. You can also find us 24-7 online at truewealthdesign.com. That's truewealthdesign.com. Kevin, it's part three of our retirement income planning series. I know that's got you energized and excited today. Yes, sir. We are, uh, well, and I think you're going to be able to, to hear it throughout. So today we're going to be talking about total return portfolio. I like that total return <laughs> we need like a total stuff. recall like total recall portfolio you know just yes, tie it into there. some thank cool you. Thank movie you. name yeah. or something like that my attempt at emphasis uh was just, just fell flat <laughs> I, thank you for saving me walter uh, um we're just gonna play yeah, like dramatic music behind you as you describe these things each episode now just to help you know build in like when they pipe in extra applause when the crowd's not really feeling it at the sporting event and they pipe in some extra applause and sound to make it sound like everybody's really excited. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to just do some push-ups before we uh, get on the call and get pumped up a little bit. I don't know. Anyway, let me, let me get back on topic here. Yeah, so I'll just do a quick recap, if you don't mind, of where we did in one and two so far in this retirement income series. So we started out with a framework and talked about, hey, you got to start with a financial plan. But as you get through and putting together that financial plan, then you get down to the point where you need to start implementing the plan and, and making decisions about how you're going to recreate your retirement income. Are you going to follow a path of using more of a probability-based path and using investments, or are you going to completely transfer your risk to an insurance company and buy some sort of guaranteed income source from an annuity or something of the sort there? So there's those two frameworks. And then what we talked about in episode two was really to emphasize why this really is important. And uh, there's something called, we call it bad timing risk. A lot of the, the smart people call it return sequence risk. And basically it's just, you know, hey, are you going to retire and have a real tailwind at your back when real positive market returns? And if you do, that bodes quite well for you and your future throughout retirement. Or are you maybe going to get unlucky and roll the dice and come up snake eyes and go ahead and have a series of negative returns similar to what we had in, say, you know, 2007, 2008, 2009, and put a lot of stress on the portfolio. And meanwhile, you have a lot of years left ahead of you. So we talked through that in detail. And uh, we talked about, and we're going to talk about it some more in a future episode in the series, but you know, if you want to go ahead and buy the guaranteed income, it's really expensive. So you can have a, a high certainty, but you're probably going to have to work longer. You may have to spend less, or you're going to have to give up a lot less money in terms of you know, what's going to be left when you're gone that's going to go to your kids, grandkids, charities, what have you. And that may be a fine trade-off for some, but mathematically, we just believe there's a better way to go about creating this retirement income. And it is that more probability-based investing approach. All of us have, are going to have, you know, some guaranteed income already. Social Security, if you have a pension, those are forms of guaranteed income that you already have. And we'll do another future podcast episode on this. But just with Social Security claiming strategies, doing some planning around that, is much more beneficial than introducing some sort of annuity from an insurance company just because of the way that the math works on social security system, at least it does today. So 
if we're going to go down this path of having more of a probability-based approach and creating our retirement income from savings, uh, then it gets into, well, how are we going to invest? And so that's really what this total return investing is and what we're going to talk about briefly today. I think it's so helpful to see that there's more than one way to solve the problem. And so it's not always in the financial world a conversation of, you know, yes and no. We've talked about, you know, gray areas before, or just there's different ways to get to the solution. But yeah, why wouldn't you want the more efficient way, the one that would might be better for you long term? I guess it kind of like that suitability versus fiduciary standard. There's This might be a suitable solution for you, but is it the best thing? Is it the tr- thing that's truly in your best interest? And that's the kind of plan that we really want to have in place and the strategies that we truly want to follow. Yeah, I like to say that we do the math first and see what the math says is likely to be best. And then we start certainly talk about, you know, how do you feel about that? Is this a solution that you're going to be able to sleep at night? Because even if it's you know mathematically optimal or whatever you may want to describe it as if you can't sleep at night, you know, if you can't handle some of the ups and downs in the market, then it's not a path for you to pursue. But just to start with the emotions, frankly, I mean, that's what a lot of insurance people do just to go ahead and sell those high commission products. And I just don't think that's a good approach. So this total return approach, it's been around a long time. And I should probably explain what total return is to start. So you know, whenever you go ahead and you invest in, I'll just use the S&P 500, you know, call it the stock market. You buy it today. Who knows what it's, the return is going to be over you know, the course of the next year in total. However, if we just compartmentalize the return of it into two components, we buy today. On average, we're going to get about a 2% return from dividends paid out from the companies that comprise the S&P 500. So the dividend yields about 2%. And then we're going to get another part of the return to go ahead and sum up to the total return that is going to be some price increase or decrease. You know, are the stock prices going to go up? Is the market going to go up or is it going to go down? You know, we don't have the crystal ball, but whatever that price return is. So we have an income return, the dividend yield, and then we're going to have the price return. And that's just, again, did stock prices go up or down? So you add those two together and that's the total return. Same thing works if we're talking about bonds, you're gonna have a higher portion, generally speaking, in interest payments. So the income return is gonna be higher there, but the price of the bonds are gonna move around as well. You know, as interest rates move, the prices of the bonds move. And as bonds kind of, you know, if you buy a 10 year bond and it goes down to nine years, I don't want to get too wonky here, but there's something called a roll yield and the price of the bond is gonna change as the duration changes. So you're going to always add those two components together to get the total return. Now, one of the mistakes that a lot of people make, and I'll just mention here, but won't go into is that income return is very easily observable. You know, it's something to say, Hey, I, I like dividends. You know, I can see that the money's coming in and, you know, a lot of the funds that we use will pay out those dividend payments quarterly. And we have some call it super senior clients that literally they still, they've been getting the dividend checks in the mails for long time. <laughs> they like getting it. And it's just this emotional behavioral preference that we have for seeing the money work for you. So a lot of people will have kind of a dividend focused strategy. The evidence on doing that is, let's just say it's not good. So the total return approach that I'm talking about, it's been proven for the last 50 years. It's a much better way to go ahead and provide a total return and also ultimately provide your retirement income. So I'll give you an example of this. Whenever you look at pension plans, I've mentioned uh, in some prior episodes, 
mentioned Goodyear. We work with a lot of people from Goodyear because Goodyear employs a lot of people in our local area. And Goodyear at the end of 2018, excuse me, 2016, uh, had uh, $1.8 billion in assets and the same amount in liabilities. And the liabilities for a pension plan are the monthly payments that they have to pay their pensioners. So all the people that work for Goodyear over the years vested in those pension benefits, Goodyear has the $1.8 million in assets and has to go ahead and invest that money and provide that monthly income stream to their pensioners for as long as they live. And Goodyear actually froze their pension plan in 2008. And what they've been doing since then, what you've seen is that the pension plan has become more well-funded because now it's not completely open-ended and people are still accruing benefits. Again, it's kind of winding down because it's been frozen. And where it sits today, it's actually more than 90% invested in bonds. As of the end of 2016, the report showed it was 94% in bonds and only 6% in stocks. But if you would have gone back and look at any pension plan that is kind of open and still accruing benefits, most of them have a risk that's approximate to about 60% in stocks and 40% in bonds. And so really what the Goodyear plan kind of shows you is that they're investing with a purpose. And their purpose is to go ahead and meet those monthly obligations that they've promised to pay their workers. And they go ahead and they do that and then say, look, you know, hey, we got 1.8 million in assets. We have 1.8 million in liabilities. We're going to invest with a purpose and just go ahead and, and meet those obligations. And we don't have to take a lot of stock market risk anymore. And, you know, that may not necessarily be true for somebody entering retirement, but I can say for sure, after we do the math, it's true for some of our clients. And we make that very clear to them that, hey, your plan is not only fully funded, but maybe you even have some excess. So we can go and then have a discussion about, you know, do you want to take some additional risk because you can afford to? It's not going to detract from your lifestyle if we hit a 2008 kind of speed bump for a period of years. And, Oh, by the way, I mean, you're probably going to end up being able to you know, spend more money if you want to leave more money on to you know, your kids, grandkids or charity or what have you. But we've already done the math for them. And then we come down and then we kind of stress test the plan and we have this conversation around, hey, what kind of return do you really need? for your plan to work? How much capacity for risk do you have? Because it could go the other way. You could say that you could really see after you perform one of these stress tests that, hey, if this, if this person, if John and Jane hit a speed bump at the outset of retirement, had one of those bad timing events that we talked about in the last episode, they're going to have to cut back a lot. And it's probably going to be more than what they really can handle. So they can't take that kind of risk. So you have to measure this stuff. But after you measure it, it comes down to that, you know, this total return approach. So Goodyear and any pension plan has the advantage of one, it's a fixed monthly payment. It doesn't increase with inflation. All of our expenses as human beings pretty much do increase with inflation over time. You know, gas is going to be higher over time. Your car insurance and your property taxes are going to go up over time, so on and so forth. Uh, pension plans do not pay taxes. We do pay taxes, so that introduces some more planning and complexity. The people that are managing those pension assets have some objectivity to that. Certainly, we're all humans and we're all emotional people and creatures. However, I can tell you in working with clients for, for many years that particularly once they're in retirement and the paycheck spigot has been turned off, a lot of them do get more emotionally attached to their dollars, whether it's going up or, or going down. Uh, whereas in the pension example, you know, you kind of have that 
objectivity of the pension board and the consultants that they're hiring, making the decisions on behalf of the pensioners, but there is really that, you know, kind of that separation of the two. So in effect, what we do when we're following this, you know, this probability-based approach, this investing type approach, and using a total return approach for the investments, is doing the same thing that the pension plans are doing, but just factoring in all those other things. So we just have to go through and we have to go down that path and figure out, you know, what kind of return do you need? You know, where is it likely to come from? Today, you can go out and you can get maybe 2% on cash, maybe get a little bit more from investing in bonds. Stocks are inherently more difficult to forecast, but it's going through that deliberate approach and practice of figuring out where are we going to derive the returns that we need that we already measured from your financial plan that you need to achieve over time. And that's also consistent with how much risk that not only that you can take your capacity for risk, but also your ability or willingness to go ahead and take risk. It's interesting hearing your conversation about kind of this total return investing, but also that comparison of the pension plan for you know, Goodyear and, the, and that stock and bond mix being so heavily weighted toward the uh, the bond side. And I guess although that sounds like a great strategy and uh, one way to, again, accomplish the goal that we're seeking here of kind of weighing all these different opportunities and options, but there are major differences then, I guess, between a pension plan and an individual person. And you kind of outlined, you know, so there's advantages that a large pension plan has versus us as an individual. And that's why we maybe we need to be a little bit more nuanced and be a little bit more flexible through some of these things. Yeah, completely. So I think the biggest thing for people to, to take away from is that, you know, there are these two components of return. It's the income and then it's going to be some growth. And again, that growth over time is going to occur, but certainly in the shorter periods of time, that growth may detract from the returns. So when we actually go ahead and start creating the income, not only have we measured and potentially plan for those bad timing risks that we talked about previously, but it really comes down to, you can think about it over time, you know, good years investing that money and the cash that they have in their portfolio is paying out monthly benefits for the next, you know, one, two, 10 months, so on and so forth. The 6% stocks that they have in their portfolio is really for the much longer term dollars for people that are vested and maybe they're gonna be paying out 30 years from now. The same sort of thing applies for our clients. When we went through 2008 and we were looking and updating our clients' financial plans, one of the things that we did that was really helpful was, hey, we just looked at their portfolio. We said, look, you're about 50% stocks, 50% bonds, maybe you're 60% stocks. And now, you know, it's kind of went down because stocks went down. And so now you're more balanced. If we don't do anything, you know, if we have 50% of your money in bonds and all we did was spend the bonds first. So we just bought some time for the risky stuff, the stocks to go ahead and bounce back. How much time do you have? And for most of our clients, it was at least, even in 2008, it was at least about three years. It was on average, it was a little bit more than that. Several clients that had well-funded plans, you know, were 10 or 20 years before they would have to touch, you know, the stocks. And so when you start, I talked about, you know, decomposing the returns into this income and growth component. And you can do the same thing for the portfolio. You know, you can say like safer assets, we call them more preservation assets or more growth or appreciation assets. So you can kind of think of it in that time segmentation as well. Your money tomorrow, particularly in retirement, it better be in something very safe, very liquid, you know, cash at the bank sort of thing. And then as you go out in terms of time, you know, it's as you get further and further out, you can afford to start taking more and more risk with the portfolio. 
it's all one big pot, if you will. It's one big pot of money. It's this total return approach. But what we have to do if we're following this investing-based approach, this probability-based approach to create somebody's income, rather than going out and spending you know, a lot of money on these expensive guarantees for insurance, we have to use these ways about kind of segregating things and showing them, say, look, if we just spent the bonds down first, you have five years, you have 10 years. And in my practice in doing that over the course of time, it allows people to have the mindset and have a little bit more comfortability to go ahead and stay disciplined and stay invested and let the market kind of work itself out like it did in, you know, 08 and 09. You know, something else that we do is, you know, when you do have multiple goals in your retirement plan, if you have a single goal and say you're spending, you know, $80,000 a year before you enter retirement and say, okay, well, I got to go ahead and maintain that lifestyle in retirement. So you have one goal and it's $80,000 a year, each and every year through retirement. Well, We've talked about this early on in the podcast and kind of the myth of that 80% replacement rate. Uh, it's probably episode three or four, but spending does change over time. So if you have kind of, uh, you know, simplistically, it's kind of like the go-go, the slow-go and the no-go years as we get through the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. So when you model how spending actually changes and then you have this not one goal, but a multi-goal approach, and then you stress test somebody's retirement plan that's reflective of their lifestyle, not only today, but how it's likely to change over time as they age, then even when you do that bad timing stress test, what you're going to find is that their needs, the things that are most critical to them, their health insurance, you know, just heat in the house, food in the valley sort of thing, you know, that stuff has to go ahead and be met with an extremely high degree of confidence, regardless of what investment market returns are. As you start moving down the totem pole and get into more discretionary items like, hey, you know, I'd like to have a second home down in Florida. I'd like to do this or I'd like to do that. And, you know, it, it's not in the needs bucket, but it's more in the wants or maybe in even the wishes bucket. And, okay, actually, I'll give a good example. We just went through this with a client recently. They retired in their late 50s which is, you know, quite young by, by most standards, they're healthy, you know, they might have 40 years in retirement and it wasn't in their retirement plan, but they said, you know, we've been going down and visiting some friends and we have some family down outside of Bradenton, Florida. We'd really like to get this second home down there. I'm like, well, you know, Hey guys, we didn't plan for this in advance. So <laughs> let's go back and see how we can work this. And as we kind of worked it in their financial plan and we found that, look, you know, if you guys downsize, your big home that you're in now in Northeast Ohio, and it doesn't have to be today, but at some point in the future where that money is going to become available for, for spending, for retirement spending, and you go ahead and you buy something around three, 350000 down in Florida, we feel comfortable recommending that you can do that. And you know, what are you going to do if it's a worst case, if things don't pan out? Well, maybe not doing it for 20 years. You can probably do it for about 10 years, and then you're going to have to sell it. So this is really what, to me, it's about. It's, you know, hey, we got all these moving pieces and parts. We have investments, we have taxes, we have social security, we have pensions, we have bad timing risk, but it's our job to go ahead and make it clear, do the math, explain it in plain English to our clients, talk about, you know, kind of the emotional side as well and some of the trade-offs, but then make it very concrete to them about, hey, if you go down this path, 
yes or no, you can or can't do it. And if this happens, this is the potential ramification. And for them, frankly, I haven't gotten the answer yet. This is just something that happened a couple of weeks ago. But I think it's a trade-off that they're willing to make. I think they'll be willing to go ahead and pursue that path and find a place down in Florida. And if things, you know, maybe they're going to have to sell their big home in Ohio and say, you know, their mid-70s or so, which probably makes sense anyway, because those big homes, are, <laughs> they're more difficult to maintain. And the older you get, the less you want to do it. So that's a practical example of some of the things we're talking about here. But you know, their plan and their returns are going to get met by the total return from their investments over time. Well, it's so important to get a good perspective on these moving parts. And that's why we're taking some time over the course of several episodes to talk about retirement income and making sure that you understand the ins and outs of those different moving parts and uh, some of the elements that go into the philosophy that's used at True Wealth Design. It's not just... uh, you know, following a saying, you know, Kevin of, oh, yeah, well, as you get closer to retirement, you get out of stocks and you get into bonds. It's not that simple. It's not that easy. There's a much more complex methodology behind making sure that you're truly prepared for your retirement future. The great news is you don't have to, you know, go at it on your own. You've got somebody there helping you along the way and pointing out the pitfalls, the twists and turns of the road as you go through. And that's what we're trying to do here on the podcast each time is take you down that path to understanding kind of some of the moving parts that are going on behind the scenes in your portfolio so that you can be well prepared for your financial future. And if you'd like to meet with the True Wealth Design team, you can start by scheduling a 15-minute call with an experienced financial advisor on the team. Just go to truewealthdesign.com and click on the Are We Right For You button, uh, typically down at the bottom of the page, but in a couple of different spots. Again, just go to truewealthdesign.com and click the Are We Right For You button. Or you can call the team directly at 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855 893 Seven five two six. And Kevin, we are going to be continuing this series into the next podcast. Can you give us a little preview? What direction are you taking us in for the next one? Yeah, sure thing. Let me uh, mention one other thing. So if you went down the guaranteed approach, it is simpler. If all your money was in guaranteed, you know, accounts or uh, insurance products, you know, you don't need somebody like myself or like one of the CFPs on our team at True Wealth. However, you know, again, those guarantees are expensive. You're probably going to have to work longer. You're probably going to have to spend less or you're going to have less when your plan is all said and done, you know, for your kids, grandkids, or charity. And those trade-offs may be fine. But if you're following this more, and it is, it's a little bit more of a complex approach. I mean, we can have some simple ways about doing it. For example, I mean, we buy mutual funds and things like that. We're not doing anything, you know, everything is transparent and, and low cost, what have you. But there is a little bit more inherent complexity in it. So I think that's a reasonable trade-off to keep in mind. I mean, all of our clients that work with us, they've already made that decision in their mind. And that's one of the reasons why they're working with us. They feel like they found somebody that can go ahead and guide them down that path that can go ahead and kind of do the work, but keep them informed and help them make smarter decisions and keep them on, on the path. What we're going to talk about next time is now that we have these principles in place of having uh, more of a probability-based investing approach, you know, probably is going to end up better for most people. Certainly that's uh, what history shows and the math shows. And then we start getting into, you know, this got to really mitigate and plan for and stress test our plan. So in case there's a bad timing risk that pops its head in the early years of retirement 
and then we say, okay, you know, hey, how are we going to go ahead and start investing? And we have to be mindful of our liabilities, of our retirement spending, similar to what the pension plan has to be mindful of and paying out the monthly benefits. And we're going to follow this more total return approach and have a well-diversified component to it. But then we're going to talk about some of the things that need to be dynamic. And what I mean by that is, well, I think you might have to tune in next time, but it's not a set it and forget it type of approach. You know, returns change, return expectations change. Your portfolio is probably going to need to change a little bit over time in light of those changes and some other things that may pop up. So that's where we're going next. And then the final episode is uh, we're just going to talk about how expensive are those guarantees really. And I'll, I'll do some examples there. All of that on the agenda for future episodes as we continue our retirement income planning series. If you want to listen to the first two episodes of the series, just go back two episodes, and that's where we began the series. This was number three in line, so just go back a little bit before this, and you'll be able to follow along as we go through this series. Just look for part one and part two in the title name, and that'll lead you to the right place. Kevin, thanks as always for the help, and we'll look forward to continuing the series with you next time. Thanks, Walter. All right. For Kevin Krosky, I'm Walter Storholt. Remember, check us out on truewealthdesign.com if you need any help or guidance or want to listen to past episodes of the show. Don't forget to subscribe on Google, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify now. or on Spotify, uh, so that's exciting as well. Uh, and you can subscribe to us really on any app that you like. By the way, if you ever find an app, you have your favorite that you don't see us listed in it. Maybe you have one that's not one of the more popular ones that you enjoy and you'd like to get us on your favorite app, let us know. And we'll be able to certainly do that for you. We'll go ahead and get it submitted and on there. Just let us know. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time right back here on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.